Our guest today, one of the greatest Canadians to ever strap on the boards, Brian Stemmel, and We Care Mascot, one of the best reps Easter Seals has, Brent Morning. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, coming up! Welcome to the program. Very excited about this one for you folks. Our first guest hails from Aurora, Ontario. He was a member of the Canadian Alpine team for 15 years. He competed in the downhill and the Super G. He had six national podium finishes, three world championship appearances, a four-time Olympian, three World Cup podium finishes, 15 World Cup top 10 finishes, an Alpine analyst for CTV, CBC, and Sportsnet, a member of the Canadian Ski Hall of Fame. Welcome to the program, Brian Stemmel. Brian, great to have you here, my friend. Long time no see. Yeah, good to see you, Joe. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Looks like a cozy spot you got there, the fireplace. You've had to use that a little more often than you wanted to more, most recently, <laughs> I think, eh? <laughs> yeah. Well, the great thing is uh, we were on a, uh, a show, uh, Divine Design by Candace Olson, and she redecorated the room and did the fireplace and everything. So uh, no credit to me and my, uh, my skills in decorating. It's all to her. Well, it looks spectacular. Well done. Well Thanks. done. So uh, now we'd like to... Go right to the beginning. I know you come from a you know a skiing family. Your sister Karen, of course, also represented Canada on the slopes. How did you guys get into skiing at, at that level and get so good? Well, my grandparents lived in Meaford, Ontario, and my parents were, or my dad was a big skier. My mom actually didn't ski at all, but we'd go and travel to our grandparents every weekend in Meaford, and then uh, my dad and mom became ski patrol and ski instructors at Georgian Peak Ski Club. And we tagged along with them every weekend. They didn't have a lot of money, so they did that and tried to make some money and we were able to ski for free. And I just got better at it and and loved it. And you know, just a couple hours north of Toronto, we grew up in Aurora, so it wasn't too far of a drive. And I loved being with my grandparents and watching the Leaf game every Saturday night with my grandfather uh, while my parents went out or something and, and visited with friends. My sister and I would stay back at there cottage right on Georgian Bay and uh yeah that's how we grew up and I just love skiing and was always the last one off the hill every day well you know we were we were skiing family too we started out as a as a uh hockey family you know with the kids playing hockey and everything else but we all we found that you know one kid's playing hockey the rest of the kids are, are doing whatever and, and like we're nobody's doing anything but when we go to the ski hill everybody's doing it everybody's having fun so you know, it, it is a good family sport, no doubt about that. Now, but why did you choose to get into the downhill and Super G? Like, why did you think it was a good idea to fly down the hill at 100, 110 kilometers an hour? Because I sucked at slalom and GS, <laughs> which are the two slower disciplines in alpine skiing. And really at Georgian Peaks, only 800 feet vertical, that's basically all, all you could do with slalom and GS. And I just... Loved at the end of the day after we didn't have to train anymore in the gates that I could go and free ski and jump off the jumps and go straight down and, and do that kind of stuff when I was a kid. So I had it in me right from the beginning to um, be a downhiller because I love the speed. I love the air time and really I didn't have those fast twitch muscles to get quickly through the slalom gates. I was just more of a 
straight ahead, go straight at it and, uh, and, uh, ski with bravery. Yeah. Forget the Jean-Claude Keeley finesse. Let's just go for this. All right. Let's, let's just yeah. do this. Uh, crazy so, Canucks. Uh, Joe, the crazy, crazy Canucks. Canucks. You, you, well, you came it. in, you came around just after the crazy Canuck uh, phase, you know, uh, but you, yeah. you were, you followed in their footsteps. Were they an inspiration for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Steve Paborski's last race in 1984 in Whistler was my first race. And, um, my friend, I grew up in Aurora and we went to Kettleby Public School with Brent, who uh, we're going to see in a bit. And my friend Chaz Burkett and I went to a movie and he reminds me of this because I don't really remember it. I remember the movie, but I don't remember uh, the specific moment that he uh, mentioned to me when he when we walked out of that movie. It was called The Dream Never Dies and it was all about the crazy Canucks. And I walked out of that movie and I told Chaz Burkett that I wanted to be one of those guys one day. And that was in grade four, five or six. And uh Lo and behold, there I was uh, standing beside Steve Paborski in his last race, which was a big thrill for me. What a rush it was. Yeah, I mean, you, you had some big ski boots to fill, but you did it admirably, admirably well. Um, you set a record for Canadian skiers representing our country in four separate Olympic Games. How does it feel to have that distinction? Uh, it's really the only title that I go with because I didn't win any medals. So I can't say Olympic champion or Olympic medalist or world championship medalist. Uh, I just say four-time Olympian, which uh, it, it was great. I raced in 1988 in Calgary, which was a big thrill racing at home. Uh, I raced in 1992 in Albertville. Uh, that's, there's a picture right there of the Albertville Olympics. I fell on that bump in training and uh, tore both my rotator cuffs. So I didn't race very well. I was only 23rd. Uh, I raced in Lillehammer. I was 26th. And then in Nagano in 1998, uh, I raced there and uh, was close to winning a gold medal but made a mistake down at the bottom and uh, had that dream of winning a gold uh, just just crush me. <laughs> it was just taken well, away from me really quickly. But uh, it was a tough one. But I'm so proud that I got to race in four Olympics and meet so many great people, so many great Olympians, and at least have a chance and an opportunity to win a medal for our country. Well, that was that was an unfortunate. I remember the '98 Nagano race, and, and and you had the best intervals. It looked like you were going to win a gold medal. Never mind, just a medal, and and uh, just missing that gate. Just uh, obviously, I mean, when you talk about that event, when you think about that event, does it does it still bring you nightmares? Is it still hard to digest for you? Uh, I find a little tear to my eye as we speak here, welling up a bit. Uh, because I put so much effort into it. And it wasn't so much about the result. It's what I'd done before. Um, you know, I almost died in Kitzbühel in 1989. And, and just coming back from that and competing in another three Olympics was a big feat. But I really, I wanted to win a gold medal. And, you know, for my community, for Aurora, for York Region, for my friends, my school, my parents, everybody who'd been behind me and supported me for so long. And um, I carried a piece of paper, which I think I have it around here somewhere. It's close. But a uh, little piece of paper that had the picture of the gold medal on it that I cut out of the Toronto star that said Japanese gold mint display shows both sides of the gold medal to be awarded the 1998 winter Olympics in Nagano, Japan. And I cut that little piece of paper out and I put it in my pocket for six months and every single pair of pants, jeans, shorts, ski pants, whatever. I had that piece of paper in my left pocket and uh, it was a constant reminder for me of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish on that day. So um, i I'd reach into my pocket and not think about crossing the line and, and winning, but what I needed to do, how I need to ski, how I need to feel, uh, how I need to remember the course. 
on the on the ceiling over here in my bedroom, I had the map of the course uh, drawn on the ceiling. So when I'd wake up in the morning, it was the first thing I'd see, and I'd go over the race in my head. And when I fell asleep at night, I'd see the same thing, and I'd go over the race in my head and that. So those two things were really some things that I hadn't done before in my career, but I really, really worked hard at every single day, trying to be there mentally, physically, obviously, a lot of training. But uh, those two things were key for me and almost winning. And yeah, I was 37, 37 hundredths of a second ahead at the last interval and then uh, slipped wide and missed a gate uh, a few turns from the finish. So close, but yeah, so far. And, and you know, but it's overcoming adversity like that. It's getting through that, getting through the other side that it probably adds more value to our lives and our ability to help others than anything else. Have you found that? I keep saying that because I don't have a gold medal. So maybe <laughs> Okay. <laughs> if I had the gold, Joe, I'd be showing it to you right now. Here it is. Pal. Yeah, no, it, it, yeah. it, it kind of defined my career a little bit. You know, I was just always so close. I was a naturally talented kid. I love sports, played every single sport there is out there. And, um, and yeah, it was just one of those things that, that just, I just missed, you know, my moment of destiny. I just, I just lost it for a second there and it was too bad, but uh, yeah, proud of all the adversity that I come back from and they didn't even expect me to walk again, let alone race after 1989. So uh, to ski another nine years and have a chance at a gold medal is, is what I'm proud of. You know, I, and you talk, you sound like such a Canadian, uh, you know, competing at the Olympics with the torn rotator cuff and okay, no problem. I'll just compete anyway, finishing 23rd, which is no small feat either. And then, uh, but you know, despite the, you know, the, the devastating setback in, in, in Japan, like coming so close to that gold medal, Japan was also, uh, the site of one of your, one of your greatest accomplishments, uh, your first world cup podium finish in a super G event at Ferrano, Japan. Uh, tell us about that experience. Yeah, it was awesome. It was my first time traveling to Japan in 1985, <clears throat> excuse me. And I was with Todd Brooker, um, who was, you know, just at the end of the crazy Canucks, but he really showed me the way he was from Paris, Ontario. So an Ontario kid and, and skied in Collingwood and would always invite me up to business class because he would get there with so many points he had. And he just always showed me the way and showed me the rope. So I traveled to Japan with him and we raced the downhill on Saturday and he won and it was awesome. And, um, we had so much fun just celebrating him. We went out for sushi that night and had some sake and had a couple beers and nothing crazy, but just really celebrated a, a great victory for one of our great Canadian skiers. And the next day was the super G and I was starting number 68. Uh, so not very good number cause I wasn't ranked very high and it was dumping snow all night. And if, People have been to Japan before to ski. They call it Japao because it's always powder skiing there. So it was oh. really coming down, but they decided to race the race anyway. And uh, Todd was starting actually just behind me or just a couple ahead of me, I think, in the Super G. Anyway, uh, it stopped snowing. The sun came out and it cleared up. And, and what happens then? It's like uh, in F1 when it's raining and it goes to a dry surface and, and you have a, a lot better grip and speed. And that's exactly what I had. And I, I came down and I was third. And uh, it was just uh, an incredible moment and, and one I'll never forget because uh, the victory from Todd the day before and a complete fluke for me, but uh, I did it uh, and uh, can't take that away from me. So it was, it was a really fun moment. 
Well, you reached the podium three times in the World Cup circuit, and that's pretty bloody awesome. Now, um, of course, we you you touched on the crash earlier, but we want to go into that now. So your career and your life were almost ended at Kitzbühel. It was um, in January 14th, uh, 1989, 24 skier out of the gate that day, your first trip to Kitzbühel, having a good run, went a little wide and slammed into that netting, one of the worst accidents in FIS history, suffering a broken pelvis, massive internal injuries, and an infection. Now, I just want to go back a few years here. Here's how you describe the incident just a couple of years after the fact. When I was going along the Stahlhang in the right-handed turn that I was going to make it. And I, even the, that last moment where I still see myself catching my ski up in the net, I still think I'm going to make it. He's down. Stemmel has gone down. Brian Stemmel, who is coming back after knee surgery, has gone down. So your, your pelvis is basically torn apart. You're placed in a medically induced coma. Uh, the doctors tell you uh, you were pretty close to dying. What did they tell you exactly? Yeah, I was. Um, I don't. I don't remember a lot. I, I, I wasn't knocked unconscious. So um, when I was lying on the hill there, I I'd asked our coach and the paramedics just to slide me down to the flat part of the hill because I still felt like I was on the Stahlhang, the steep part where I fell. But I'd actually slid down to the flat part and. My pelvis was so broken inside of me that I was lying at a 45 degree angle. So it felt like I was still in the steep part of the hill, but I was actually on the flat part of the hill. And when they lifted me up underneath the helicopter, as you saw, that gave me a little relief and um, it didn't hurt as badly then. I just remember seeing out of the side of the helicopter, the top of the mountain where I just started uh, in the start hut in Kitzbühel. And uh, that was basically the last thing I remember. I remember being in the hospital and telling the doctors not to cut my suit off of me, you know, just take it off because we can, at the end of the year, we can sell it for a hundred dollars or something because money was pretty scarce in those days. So I remember that for some reason. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I was in a drug induced coma for five days and, and, uh, I had, uh, three operations on Saturday on January 14th, two more on Sunday. And then, uh, my parents arrived on Monday. And when my, when the doctor, when my dad asked, uh, what are her chances of skiing again? They said, Brian's only got a 50-50 chance of living right now. So I had 25 blood transfusions uh, because they couldn't get the bleeding to stop internally. And um, on Thursday, January 19th, my dad's birthday, they took me out of the drug-induced coma. And that's when the pain really started. It was like getting kicked in the nuts over and over and over again for two and a half weeks. It was pretty vicious, uh, you know, unbearable pain. Um, but I hung in there for some reason. Um, and three other gentlemen in the intensive care with me were in rougher shape than I was one in a car accident, one with a skull fracture. Another guy was pretty beaten up. And so I was considering myself lucky just lying in Innsbruck, Austria around these other gentlemen who were in pretty serious shape. And I spent two and a half months in Sunnybrook hospital. Um, they put me back together and then I skied a year and a half later at the Pan American Winter Games, and I won the gold medal there. So that was quite a comeback, even though I didn't think, um, I didn't, I didn't really care about, not, not that I didn't care about skiing. I, I didn't, I didn't, all I wanted to do was the, for the, have the pain go away at the beginning and then worry about walking again and carrying on. But uh, 
I slowly got stronger and uh, made my way back. And I didn't want to give up my dream and what I love to do. And that was ski racing. And fortunately, I got a chance to do it, win the medal at the Pan Ams, and then ski another 10 years for the ski team. And, and a lot of success after that too. So here you are in the hospital and you, you know, come out of your coma, you're, you know, drugged up and everything else and in a excruciating pain. And, and are you already thinking about skiing again? <laughs> yeah, Is that what's going not on? really. Like, you know, my parents were there and my mom said, if I could take your spot, I would, you know, as any parent would. And I said, I don't think you can handle it. Like, I don't want to see you here because you know, I feel I'm strong enough to be able to do it. And it was always in the back of my mind. Never, I never counted ski racing out or, or any sport for that matter. I, I wanted to play hockey when I was a kid, but never had a chance because we were skiing all the time. So when my parents, uh, when we, when I turned 14, my parents said, well, you're gonna have to make a choice, hockey or skiing. And, uh, I never really played much hockey except in my basement, but I loved the sport. Um, but I chose skiing and, uh, I stuck with it and, yeah, for some reason, I just, I didn't want to be defeated by a mountain. So I went back to Kitzbühel after that uh, in 1993 and, uh, and skied there another five times. 14th was my best. And staring that mountain in the face and having to do it again after you've almost died on a hill was pretty terrifying. But it was something that I had to do and uh, did it for myself. And actually, I fell there two more times, separated my shoulder once. And uh, oh. so I didn't have the best luck there, but uh, it is the most terrifying, death-defying, fastest, iciest race in the world. And yeah, I made it down a few times. Yeah, that's crazy. Going back to the to the scene of the crime, I guess, as they say. But uh, you, but yeah. your accident, you know, it did result in some changes to Kitzbühel. Did you, was there some solace in that for you? Uh, a little bit. So what had happened, you can see right there, the plastic ends on the net and then it's just netting and there's no more, there's plastic along the bottom. And so they talked about in the coaches meetings during the week, every evening to put more plastic on the fence there. And um, the organizing committee said they didn't have any more plastic. And you come so close to that fence that uh like right there, you come really, really close to it. it, should be five feet high. So you can see it now, it's much higher now. So what I did, I sued the Skitzbühel Ski Club and I never really wanted to, I wasn't doing it for money or anything. I wanted to do it to prove a point to make, uh, have other athletes be safe and uh, not put their lives at risk because of uh, lack of safety. And so I sued them, we lost twice and then we went to the Supreme Court of Austria and we won. And um, it was a small feat. Because, uh, you know, that winning will never take the pain away or the injuries or my hip pain right now. But uh, I was doing for other athletes and not just me. Well, it did precipitate some change. And that's that's important. And, you know, it was one of the worst accidents in the history of skiing. And and, uh, it's amazing that you've been able to recover from that comeback and win. In 1996, your best result in the downhill uh, a silver medish, uh, sil- silver medal at Garmisch, uh, in Germany. Uh, how did that feel to uh, to you know get second on the podium at, in, at Garmisch? Yeah, that was awesome. It was awesome in Garmisch because um, Steve Paborski always did really well in Garmisch, and he was my idol growing up. And I wanted to be like Pod. And Garmisch was one of his favorite hills, and it's really icy as well. It's an incline skating rink. Basically, they could just take a Zamboni down it and, and groom it and ice it up. But that's how we like it. And 
yeah, I skied really well that day. Uh, I knew I could win and I was second and they had a race the next day that it was actually canceled because of fog. So I was hoping I was going to win that one, but, um, didn't get a chance to do that, but being second, there was a thrill and the prize money back in that day wasn't massive. I made 20,000 bucks, but I put the, um, check that I got not in my wallet because I didn't want to get stolen. I put it in my suitcase. So I'd forgotten about it when I checked my luggage going to the airport and they lost my suitcase and I couldn't believe that no, this is only money no. that I was going to make. And I've lost a $20,000 check. Oh God. But they ended up finding it and uh, the 20 grand was still in there. So that was more memorable almost than winning the trophy. Well, speaking of 20 grand around that time, uh, Things were doing pretty good for you because you made this uh, commercial spot that we're going to run right now. Roll that yeah, commercial. I much have no idea about computers. Uh oh. It says system error. I thought Kit's fuel was hard. <laughs> so I'm going to phone the helpline. I see it. Okay, I got it. Tom was a supervisor and took me through everything. He made it seem like our coach talking in skiing language. Go to this spot, this spot, this spot. Simple. Uh huh. Which way is it supposed to go? <laughs> I'm a genius now. <laughs> oh, the technology. That's like classic. <laughs> yeah, Bring back that. some memories for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was 1994 before the Olympics, and IBM was one of the sponsors. And I had a lot of great sponsors. You know, man, I, I still get, uh, you know, choked up about it thinking about how many people supported me and gave me money just to be a ski racer and promote their product. But IBM was one of them Toshiba, Molson, Bell, Nike, like, hundreds really and all my ski sponsors and that was one of the few well i think the only commercial that i did but it ran during the olympics in 1994 and i had a real uh, great time shooting it it was it was fun and uh, yeah it turns out i am a genius i guess i don't know <laughs> oh, yeah and you could juggle and ride a unicycle and holy cow a lot of things are <laughs> oh, pretty talented man. guy yeah. yeah so uh still considered one of the greatest canadian skiers of all time uh, kind of a big deal around the slopes we actually have some uh, Video of you signing jackets at Blue Mountain. What's it like there, being being the the star, Brian? Yeah, this is for our 24-hour Blue Mountain event for Special Olympics and the Collingwood General and Marine Foundation and Hospital. And we do it every year. This is our sixth year. We raised hundred and eighty thousand dollars this year, and so people have teams and ski for 24 hours, and I get to ski with the uh, athletes from Special Olympics, and they're just the best kids like i have the greatest time with them they're just really fun and honest and open and happy and they love life and enjoy skiing and to go up and down with those guys uh, every year for a few runs and celebrate what they do and celebrate how hard they work in their sport uh, is just a thrill for me and um, yeah i wouldn't uh, i wouldn't miss that event for the world it's uh, it means a lot to me well, you know, we know you're heavily involved in, in a lot of charities, Brian, and, and uh, which brings us to our, 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 our pal Brent and our next guest. We'll introduce him now. He hails from Kettleby, Ontario. He is a former Timmy ambassador for Easter Seals. He was ambassador for Al Balding's Golf Week for Timmy, longtime advocate for folks with disabilities. He is chairman of the We Care Charity Golf Tournament, and he was Gary Wright Humanitarian Award winner for 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program, Brent Morning. Brent, great to have you on again. Good to see you. Yeah, Brent. 
Yeah, and I understand you you and Brian go way back. Tell us about that relationship, uh, Brent. Oh, geez. I think I'm, I think we've known each other since grade two. I was in grade two. He was in grade four, I believe, grade three or four. And uh, he was just a, I don't, if I remember correctly, he wasn't at school a lot because he was always skiing. So I guess that paid off in a way. Um, I, I credit some of my success in life to people like him who've made it to the top and never forgot who they were. And sometimes I have the same attitude because of people like Brian. Brian, uh, tell us about, uh, is that how you remember uh, Brent? Yeah, I remember a lot of things about Brent. Uh, he was just a great guy and, and fun to be around. And um, we have a story about uh, a baseball glove that, that you know, we play baseball in the park every morning before we get to school, at lunch and after school as much as we could. And, and uh, I had a baseball glove and somebody stole it from me. And then next thing I know, I see it on Brent's hand. <laughs> and I'm like, where did you get that glove? I'm pretty sure it looks familiar. And he said, oh, some kid sold it to me for five bucks. <laughs> I'm like, that's it, five bucks? Yeah. Pretty nice glove, anyway. Told him the story about it, that it was mine. And uh, yeah, our friendship uh, hasn't dwindled from that moment. So it's been great. Okay, so did you give him the glove back, Brent? <laughs> Or did you make him buy it? Actually, he, he did give it he back. He found yeah. it and he he gave it to me. He gave it back to me. I still have it in my room. Awesome. Yeah. It today. Awesome. Put it on. I yeah, a few years ago at his golf tournament, I presented him with the glove again because the glove he always wanted. And I still had it, of course, in my basement with all my other stuff. And uh, so I presented it to him. And that uh, yeah, was fun. Well, we were talking about the uh, the We Care Golf, uh, Charity Golf Tournament, uh, and Brad, tell us about We Care and and uh, and and the and the golf tournament. Well, We Care is an organization which uh, is a third party organization which supports Easter Seals. It was founded founded by Gary Wright in I think it was nineteen eighty four. This year they're, they're celebrating their four or their fortieth anniversary. It was it was it's basically um. A, Approximately seventy-five member sponsors from the from the food and the hospitality industry who band together every year to raise money for Easter Seals in order to send kids with disabilities to camp across Canada. Um, there are, I believe, sixteen camps that that we care supports. Um, Fourteen of them across Canada and, and two are in Ontario. Um, I believe they've raised. We care in general has raised uh, over $26 million in the last 40 years for to send kids to camp. And that that is about over 140,000 days at camp raised. Um, in 2014, uh, I contacted Brian Stemmel and a few friends and we all got together and we had a little, little golf tournament at Cardinals Kettle Creek uh, executive course. Um, in 2019, we somehow got it up to 80 players and um, around $19,000. And the, pan the pandemic hit, we simply raised money. And uh, since then, we've gone to uh, Cardinal Golf e-vouchers. Um, people, people can just buy their rounds of golf and they can book their own tee-off time at, at, at 
buy the rounds of golf at charitygolfchallenge.ca and they can buy the rounds of golf and they can call Cardinal and book their own TF times and go whenever they want to. And uh, people can just, um, they're, they're without, without, uh, they don't have to, they don't have to pay by a certain day. They can just go, go anytime all summer long. So it worked out pretty good. And, and last year we raised $28,000. So don't know what we're doing, going to do this year, but we're going to try and do the same or more. So Brian's been a great help, uh, supporting it. And, and, uh, the local press has been great and got, a, got, got seven local, seven local presenting sponsors. It's, they've all been wonderful and, and it gives me something to do for a couple months. And, uh, the bottom line is I get to support kids going to camp like the one I intended when I was eight years old. And, and uh, I can't say enough. I can still remember what uh, the camp experience was like for me at, at eight years old. And I was 50, I am 54 now. So that says a lot of voting impact these and Easter Shields Camp Canaveral on the life of a child. You mentioned that, uh, yes, uh, the, the, the camp for you, Easter Seals and the camp for you, how big, a, 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 how important has that been in, in your life? It, it was important. I only went one time. I was a, I was pretty much a home person because when I went to camp, I, my mom would mail these letters saying, oh, we went, we did, went to the movie theater. We did this, we did this, we did this, we did this, we did this. I got home and I said, well, why did we do that when I was around? Well, we, we didn't. <laughs> We couldn't really do anything because you were around. We we didn't know what to do without you. I said, well, I'm not going to camp anymore. But over overall, it was a positive experience. I can still remember the names of my counselors. Um, they had everything you could ever think of back then. Now I'm sure the the I know for a fact the experiences are are better now, or they have more opportunities and more events that kids can take part in and. It's great that it's great that I'm able to. That I well, I always said that when I was in a position to give back, that I would, and and fortunately, due to my circumstances, I am. So, I I want to I want to give people the uh, that website again. It's charitygolfchallenge.ca, yeah. and uh, here here we go. So your your golf club e vouchers include. You know, for one hundred dollars, you get the golf, the power cart, and and well as well a donation to We uh, We Care, which yeah. helps kids with disabilities across, uh, you know, across Canada. And there's there's a tax receipt involved in that as well. Uh, yeah, at the end of the at the end of the season, when Cardinal sends the money back to We Care, We Care then issues the tax for golf. However, if you'd like to, you can simply click donate to We Care at the top of the page and do a straight donation and you'll you can get a text or email within within a couple of days so if you if you don't want to play golf you can simply make a straight donation right and you can also uh, for more information you can contact brent brent at charitygolfchallenge.ca uh, you can contact brent directly or give him a call 905 841-5735. Feel free to give Brent a call. So I want to bring uh, Brian back in here, talk a little bit about something uh, else uh, here, uh, close to all of our hearts, I suppose. Uh, let's talk. How about those Maple Leafs? Brian, first of all, your, your thoughts <laughs> on what's going on with the with the blue and white. Well, it's about time. That's all I can say. 
Yeah, we, I was born in 66, so it's, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah. I've been a fan ever since, and it's just really fun to watch them and watch the fans celebrate because uh, we've had a lot of years of, you know, a few years of celebrating here and there, and it's always fun to, to watch them and cheer them on. But this year uh, seems a little special, so I'm, I'm hoping they can continue to play well. Does it feel different to you, Brian, this year? Not really, no, because I'm so skeptical. Nope. I thought they were going to lose. And, <laughs> you know, and I thought when they met Boston, they were going to lose for sure. And now they're not beating Boston. So who knows? Uh, it's just always, it's always fun to watch. But yeah, as a lifelong Leaf fan, you do become somewhat skeptical of uh, their performance for sure, or the outcome of their performance. How, how about you, Brent? Do you feel less skeptical this year than, than previous years? A little bit based on, well, Colorado lost and, and Boston lost. And I, I read the other day that Leafs were now the odds-on favorite to actually win the Stanley Cup. So that was unbelievable. But if it happens, great. If it doesn't, well, we all, we're all used to it. But hopefully, uh, hopefully this was a good omen and, and hopefully they get off to a good start. And hopefully they'll make it to at least the semifinals, which is better than they have in the last number of years. So that's, that's a step in the right direction. Right. You know what? And I, just from my standpoint, the way I see it, you know, bringing in Ryan O'Reilly was a key piece for them. They've added some nice, uh, you know, pieces on defense like Luke Shen. He was a factor against Tampa. Uh, uh, Jake McCabe, they're stronger. they're stronger defensively than they were before. And Ilya Samsanov, is, in my opinion, has been the best goalie in in the postseason to this point. So, you know, there, to me, there does feel does feel like there's something a little different this time around. For one thing, they weren't out in the first round, which is a, a change for the first time in 19 years. They they made it to the second round, so something good is is happening here. Now, I want to go back to uh, to uh, Brian and you know talk about you know you uh, you were inducted into the Canadian Ski Hall of Fame, and about 10 years ago. You were inducted into the Aurora Sports Hall of Fame, where they where they named a street after you, and we actually have a, a clip from that. Now, Vic, I know I know we'd be kind of bounced around here a little. Here Lincoln we go. Hall, Elders Farm, right across the street from where I live. Nope, railroad tracks right there. Okay, look up. There it is, Stemmel Drive. S T E M M E L. <laughs> Spelt completely wrong. <laughs> what an honor. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so did they ever fix that, Brian? <laughs> yeah, they did. I wish I could have kept the old sign that was spelt <laughs> mistakenly wrong. But, uh, yeah, they changed it. So uh, it's a nice legacy for my sister and I. My sister was inducted a few years later into the Aurora Sports Hall of Fame, and she was thrilled. She brought... Uh, bus loads of people i think and we just had the greatest time bobby orr showed up because karen's friends with bobby orr so he came and surprised her when she got inducted and it was just uh it's a great honor to be in such a uh um hall of fame that has a small community but a great strong community and there's so many amazing people in that hall of fame frank stronick Jim Elder, as mentioned, Cal Bouchard, Dave Gardner, who just passed away. A lot of NHL guys, Mike, Mike Murphy, Mike Kitchen. So uh, a lot of people I know who I grew up with and and celebrate a lot in Aurora together. And it's uh, a nice little 
nice little thing that we can have there at the uh, at the arena, Frank Stronic Arena, that has displays of each of the athletes and builders' recognition and what they've done for the community there. Right, and I want I want people to understand that you you were grateful at the time, and that was a funny little clip. But we ha- we also have this from your induction, uh, Vic. Can you roll this, please? I'm so proud. This honor today, so proud of representing my hometown. I will always consider myself an Aurorian and uh, a person who grew up here. I love the community, love the people. Thank you so much for this honor. Awesome. Awesome. You know, and, and uh, I want to thank you guys for, for, for being on the show here today. A couple of great Canadians right here. And, uh, and it, it is great having you on and, and good luck with, uh, you know, we care, uh, we care. And of course the, we care charity golf classic. Uh, I know that it's, it's been 10 years so far, $117,000 raised. Uh, that's 470 days at Easter seals camps for kids with disabilities. Uh, Brent, you've done a fantastic job. Once again, it's charitygolfchallenge.ca uh, or wecarecanada.org. Uh, WeCare-Canada.org, or you can uh, drop Brent a line at Brent at SuretyGolfChallenge.ca, uh, or give him a call, right? 905-841-5735. Any final thoughts on that, Brent? Uh, no, no. We're doing so far to date. We've got fifteen thousand dollars in straight don- over fifteen thousand dollars in straight donations, and hopefully it will continue. And we've got uh, media sponsorship from. Uh, 88.5 Light FM. They're doing commercials over the next month and maybe a giveaway that'll start next week, I believe. So um, I'm, I'm grateful to the volunteers in the community and without them, um, as you know, charities don't, charity events don't happen without volunteers. And a special thanks to Brian, who is, who has been my MC when one was needed and uh, been, been a support mentally through some pretty diff- challenging times the last number 30 40 years and there's no reason for that not to continue and uh karen's been a great help too i know that she would be impressed we mentioned her name we have to do that so um but thank you brian for all your support and joe thank you for your support and hopefully if you get a chance to get get some golf features out at cardinal this year you're welcome to uh you're welcome to maybe you and brian can play together on my behalf since i don't play anymore but uh, thanks everybody one and all for the for their support. Right. Done. Yeah, I'm, Brent, I'm gonna... Brent, puts his, Brent puts his heart and soul into this and it gives him some purpose. Uh, you know, he, he's just wants to give back to kids um, and have them uh, be, have a chance for them to have the same opportunities that he had going to camp because camp's a big deal for every kid. And um, I just watch him progress every year and solve problems and, and really just put his all into it. It's really special to be just an MC and to tag along at, at the side of, I don't really do that much work. He puts all the work into it. So I give him a ton of credit for doing what he's done and his ability to raise money and be great with people. And yeah, Joe, we have to get out and play golf again. It's been a few years. So uh, I'd love to join you. Why don't you buy some e-vectors, Joe? Joe, you, you can take care of the e-vectors. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Done, man. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. So let's go. Uh, I'll get my hundred bucks uh, in there right now. I mean, for a round at a great golf course, Cardinal's beautiful track, uh, cart included, tax receipt. You can't beat that. It really is. A, it, it's a spectacular deal and it's all for a good cause. And, and uh, yeah, let's do it.
Hey, All did right, you thanks, know, guys. Joe, that uh, Joe, when you drive into Redcrest, the, the Cardinal Golf, the right on Keel Street, that was my farmhouse where I grew up. And um, no so kidding. when you drive through the driveway there, the farmhouse is on the left and our old barn is on the right. And it's just a beautiful property now. And we just had cows there and some chickens and stuff. But uh, yeah, that used to be my old home where I grew up uh, when I went to school with Brent and Kettleby and used to carry him around the 10K for the Persicini run. So <laughs> a lot of memories up there. And uh, it's just been fun great getting to know Brent and uh, to be involved in this and everything kind of comes back full circle for me. The old homestead, beautiful. Yeah, it must feel good to drive by there. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, cool. All right, guys. Thanks for thanks for thanks for taking the time to join me and, and Brent. Good luck with everything, Brian. Thank yeah. you so much. Good luck with the future endeavors, and uh, we'll have more sports when we come back. Thank you. Joe Tilly here. My wife Penny Claire and I recently took an amazing trip to Egypt and Jordan with Trip Oppo, and here are our top ten must dos. Number five, one of the most unforgettable experiences we had, a hot air balloon ride above the enigmatic valley of the kings and queens. I would highly recommend that you book your next trip through Tripopple. Call them today. My Coast of Swiss Pick of the Week. Last week, I took the number three horse, the Pinball Wizard, in the ninth race of Mohawk at Trot. Rough, tough, tested with Doug McNabb in the buggy. Blew into the lead as they turned in the stretch. One in 155 and two. A Blake McIntosh trainee. Enola was second, followed by my choice, the Pinball Wizard, who went off at 16 to one. The 413 trifecta returned $440.20. This week, we're looking at the opening race on Thursday night's card in Mohawk at Trot. Enola, with Tyler Borth in the buggy, had a solid showing last week, finishing second at 16 to one. Great finish. He's got a good shot here. Let's go with the 246 exacta and trifecta box for all the racing updates visit Cosa tv on instagram twitter and facebook go to hpibet.com for your wagering options joe tilly sports is brought to you by cosa central ontario standard bread association providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at ontario tracks check out your benefits today at cosaonline.com and check out cosa tv on facebook and youtube for all the latest harness news and live action updates live racing year-round go to hpibet.com for all your wagering options become a member today and your first bet is free that's hpibet.com addiction rehab toronto toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center saving lives reuniting families the only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox treatment sober living and lifetime aftercare all in one place our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity respect and purpose let us help save your life or your loved one's life call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention 1-855-787- 2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. 
And we want to thank all the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great people. We highly recommend them all. Thank you for your support of Canadian and local sports. A reminder that the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spanglish Network, Zingo TV, and Buzz TV Live. Also, check out the show on YouTube. All of our past great shows and clips are on there. Lots of shorts, lots of fun. Like and subscribe. It's absolutely free. Thanks once again to Brian Stemmel and Brent Morning for being on the program. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show is brought to you by... Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Aldo has a tremendous team of experts on staff. They are committed to making your next real estate transaction smooth and comfortable. Call 416-GET-ALDO or visit getaldo.com. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family and your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves in response to the need of their clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more.